This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. to Venerable Damananda Bhikkhuni. Venerable Mother, you gave me my life back. You have helped me heal and become the woman I am meant to be. You made my heart whole. Words cannot express how grateful I am to you for taking me under your wing. Your prophetic words of advice are an inspiration to me, a light out of the darkness. And I am not alone. You are a pillar of strength and a beacon of hope for so many women and men whose lives you have changed forever. Sado, 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 writes Cindy Rassico. Valeria interviews Cindy, the author of Finding Venerable Mother, a daughter's spiritual quest to Thailand. When Cindy Rassico moves to Thailand with her husband and teenage son, she finds herself strangely adrift in a foreign culture unprepared for the challenges she encounters there. On an impulse, she signs up for a conference where she unexpectedly meets a Thai Buddhist nun, Venerable Damananda Bhikkhuni, who leads her on a spiritual journey from which there is no turning back. Along the way, she discovers the beauty of the Thai people and culture. This soulful and engaging memoir is the story of one woman's journey of physical, emotional, and spiritual healing through her connection to a loving Buddhist teacher who fully accepts and nurtures her in a way her own mother never did. Finding Venerable Mother is a testimony to the power of faith, forgiveness, and love. Cindy Rassico is a retired marriage family therapist. Her life has been a spiritual journey that took on new dimensions when she and her family moved to Bangkok, Thailand for three years. There, she met her spiritual teacher, Venerable Damananda Bhikkhuni, the first fully ordained Theravada nun, an encounter that opened her heart and changed her forever. This deepening relationship led to writing her memoir, Finding Venerable Mother, a daughter's spiritual quest to Thailand, which chronicles her adventures along the spiritual path. Sylvia Borstein said about her book, Cindy Rassico's loving account of her own transformation through knowing her is a joy to read. Here is the interview with Cindy Rassico. In your own words, who is Cindy Rassico? 
Cindy Rossico is a deeply spiritual person. She has many uh, interests, including dance, writing, meditation. I am, uh, Cindy Rossico is not someone who's afraid to take risks and faces life with courage. Before we talk about some of the topics in your book, Finding Venerable Mother, A Daughter's Spiritual Quest to Thailand, I have a few warm-up questions. So the first one is, what is life to you, Cindy? Life is an ongoing journey. It's an exploration and a chance to what I call go, learn, and grow. Yeah. Mm, grow. Is that a destination? No, not necessarily. Um, that's a good question. I feel that I'm constantly becoming. So I, it's almost like as if I were an onion and there's layers and I'm constantly unwrapping more layers and getting down to the core. But there's no arriving in that sense. I think we're constantly unwrapping or unlayering. I love that. Um, my next question, my next warm-up question is about refers to life again. What do you think is the opposite of life? I think the opposite of life is being shut down, being closed down, or unable to feel your feelings, especially those of pain or hurt, so that I can continue to move through to the uh, resolution of whatever I'm feeling. Yeah. What is your understanding and idea of enlightenment? Well, my understanding is that <laughs> most, for me, most of us don't really get there. But for me, it's an ongoing exploration and work in meditation, mindfulness, self-inquiry, and it is a process. I think the ultimate goal is probably something I don't really understand because it's so vast and infinite, but I believe that it exists. Yeah, yeah. Have you witnessed that being a reality or being some sort of truth? I don't think so. What is your own definition for the word mother? My own definition for the word mother is a feel a, a loving, nurturing, accepting and beneficent person. I think that mother can be in many forms. I think it can be a man who is a mother who has those nurturing qualities. I don't think it's limited to sex or gender. Yeah, that's such an, an interesting idea that's often confused or misunderstood, the masculine energies and the feminine, that we have both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some people, they, they kind of identify the masculine with the male form and the feminine with the female form. And that's interesting to see. Continue with my warm-up questions. What is the meaning of freedom to you? Freedom. Oh, that's a great word. Uh, it's being able to not be constrained by forces that and feelings that emanate up in me and are and I don't feel I have any control over. I feel that I want to have choice 
when it comes to my life. And I think freedom represents the ability to choose. That's wonderful to hear. Every time I hear, yeah, the ability to choose, right? At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? And do you have a vision for a new reality? I feel the greatest need in the world today is that of compassion. And my vision of a new reality would be where people are maybe not so self-consumed, but looking outward beyond themselves in the sense of that we are a community and how can I how can we exist in, how can we coexist and get along better and begin to address some of the difficulties and problems that are so large, feel maybe feel sometimes insurmountable in our lifetime. But I think if we come together and work as a whole, we could accomplish so much more. And that takes loving compassion and acceptance. I agree. I love those words. Um, and I'll be asking you in the moment about compassion and love. Um, since you mentioned that's what's needed in the world, coming together and working as community so we can achieve more in a sense, what do you think are the obstacles to that? I think that we live in, uh, I can only speak for this culture yeah. for the in the United States, but we live in a rather self-absorbed consumer culture where there's an emphasis on gaining for oneself and actually material goods, which aren't necessarily the ultimate source of happiness. Right, right. And I'm sorry, I forgot your question, but... It was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> the obstacles to, for this disconnection, for this, um, I think you call it a self-centered kind of way of living, individualistic. Yeah, I think the greatest obstacles in many cases is ourselves and our own selfish attitude and working within ourselves and trying to, I would say, what my teacher, Venerable Dhammananda, talks about is the heart of the bodhisattva, mm. the being that wants to care for and give and ensure the well-being of all sentient beings. Yeah. So it's changing the way we think, Yeah, each one of us, changing the way we understand life in ourselves, right? Yes, and I think in some instances it's really letting go of maybe the I, me, mine and looking at the collective whole as a we. Yeah, I love that, Cindy. I pay attention to um, people when I talk to the way they speak. And most often than not, I'm looking for those um, pronouns when they use the word we collectively, thinking about what's good for me and the other. You mentioned compassion, and my next warm-up question is about love. So do you connect compassion to love? I think they're one and the same. I think that in order to be compassionate, one has to be loving. And I think I'm probably a little clearer about what compassion is than how than love is, but it feels like they're uh, one and the same to me. Right. Right, right. So how do you define love or what is love to you? <laughs> that's my, yeah, yeah you know that is one of my questions. <laughs> that 
That was that's what I was thinking about. Um, genuinely feeling a warmth, tenderness, kindness, and caring for someone other than for, for both myself and for someone else. Right. I love that. Yeah. So caring and being kind to yourself and others at the same time, in a way. I agree. That's beautiful. I love the manifestations of kindness. So um, my next question has to do with God. And I read in your book that when you were four years old, you asked your older brother this question <laughs> that I'm going to ask you now. <laughs> um, what, where, and who is God to you? Oh, that's a great question. I think as a little, it's changed for me over time. As a little child, I was perhaps looking for an ultimate being. I, I probably had heard somewhere. In fact, I had this funny fantasy. Maybe I heard it. It was my own idea <laughs> that God had had cardboard and he made cutouts of people and <laughs> kind of they became alive somehow. I don't quite know how all that worked, but there was a sense of an omnipotent being who from which everything was created. And now I think as I get older, I feel I could speak about feeling the presence of God within myself, which is different from a particular entity or praying to someone or something outside of myself. It is, for instance, I experience God often in nature, where I look out and I feel very connected to myself and my surroundings in the sense that there's no separation. To me, that's godliness, is feeling connected. Why do you think nature inspires us to remember God? Oh, beautiful question. Because I think that nature is inherently beautiful. And in some aspects, I think that nature is always present. Mm -hmm. right. It doesn't necessarily communicate through words. It's a felt sense of the richness of the earth or the green of the hills. It's, a, it's a, an experience mm -hmm. that one can enjoy. And it's there without talking back. I often think that's a gift of nature. Although nature can be noisy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, you can have a waterfall or something or a storm or a volcano. But that's inherently within the essence of whatever that natural occurrence is that's happening. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I'm wondering if we can reach that state. Because we are nature. We are not separate from nature ourselves. How would we live, exist, or experience life if we were more nature-like? Probably we'll be in silence a lot more. <laughs> we'll talk less. <laughs> well, I think to me, the closest thing to nature is dance because it's an expression of my internal self that is nonverbal. Yeah. And it's quite whatever form it, it expresses, a person decides to express themselves. Or for that matter, I guess what I'm saying is art. Art. Is a, right. Yeah, that's true, Cindy. Yeah, very good point, right? Dance and then art in general, right? Sure, a painter probably feels the same through their, whatever the medium is. Right, right. There's so much there, but at the same time, there's this profound silence, right? It's just, it's, 
um, it's a paradox, but yeah, both um, at the same time, everything and nothing, as it has been said. So my next question is about religion. Do you see any difference between spirituality and religion? Spirituality to me is much more expansive than religion, because when I think of religion, I think of specific systems or institutions or beliefs within a historical context. And uh, certainly religion or spirituality has been with woman and man throughout time. But religion has changed its face or format over time. Yeah. In my last warm-up question, what do you think is the purpose of life, the human experience? I think the purpose of life is to experience joy and happiness and fulfillment. Perhaps fulfillment says it better than just joy or happiness. Right. And fulfillment to you is? Living in connection with my authentic self, being who I am, speaking my truth, and honoring the uniqueness and the gift of whatever, whatever it has I bring into this world. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. So let's talk about your work. Uh, my first question had to be this one. How did you become a writer? I think I didn't become a writer. I think I am a writer. <laughs> I started keeping a journal when I was six, and I wrote my first short story. Not Was it like a children's book, really? Not a short story. But when I was eight, and I always felt called to be a writer, even though I didn't become serious about it until much later in my life, until probably my mid-50s. Why did you wait so long? I know you were a marriage family therapist. You know, it's funny. I never felt like my career was my passion. And so I tried many different things. I tried being a marketer and a fundraiser. Uh, and I was an assistant teacher in a migrant school for a while. Um, the passion that I feel, it, it took me a while to figure out what I wanted and who I wanted to be and what I wanted to pursue. I think that's probably the simplest answer. Right. Why do you think it takes so long for us to discover our um, gifts? That was my case, too. Why do you think that happens very often, really? <laughs> oh, I think, I think we're human, and we don't always know what we want to know it's a process of discovery and a journey life is a journey and then, and some of us find out earlier than others True. some of us know earlier than others and i don't know the why or the rhyme or reason of that yeah what was the inspiration and intention of writing your book finding venerable mother I think I wanted women to know. I see the mother-daughter relationship as being probably the most important relationship a woman can have. And from that sense, because I think the mother relationship helps us define our birthright as women. I wanted women to know that, in my case, I had a bit of a fraught relationship with my mother. And I wanted women to know that healing is possible at any point in our lives, or whether a woman's mother is living or not, that it is possible to, if, if you had a difficult or complex 
uh, fraught relationship with your mother, it is possible to heal that and and heal oneself. Yeah. Wow. And that's so true. Yeah, that's another journey, I guess. You just called uh, that journey of finding purpose. I think everything's spiritual, in my opinion, but maybe not to you, Cindy. This discovery, self-discovery journey of finding purpose and also healing, the the spiritual journey, the uh, journey of healing, are they all connected, in your opinion? Oh, I think so. Very much so. I think healing is coming into the essence of who we are. And I'm sorry, what was the first word you used? You contrasted healing with? Yeah, the journey of healing with the spiritual journey, with the purpose, finding purpose. (laughs) Yes, I think the healing journey is to find our purpose. Maybe that's the best way to say it. Oh, I see. So in the process of healing, we find um, a purpose. That makes sense. I'm wondering if there's um, such a thing as becoming or being healed. Definitely. I struggled for many, many years with not feeling fully embodied, fully empowered as a woman. And uh, I'm a slow learner. It took me 67, 68 years. I'm 69 now. But I've, I genuinely feel I'm coming. I've come into my own. That's wonderful. Do you think it takes more time, going back to the time frame, the journey for women to find their voice than, than men? Or that's the same for all of us? Um, I don't think I could compare in, the, in that way. I think, as I said earlier, some of us come into our own sooner. Maybe we're, I I have a 30-year-old friend who's absolutely wise beyond her years, and we're we're very close because the wisdom I have accrued in my life through my life experience, she gained at the age of 30. So I guess it just depends on who you are. That's true. We are all unique, yeah. All of us. That's so true. So the process of writing your book, did anything change? Did you discover new insights in the process of writing the book? Yes, I definitely did. Um, I think the advantage of writing is that, first of all, I I didn't write about my mother until after I had 15 years in an intimate relationship with Dhammananda, because by then I had received the unconditional love and acceptance I needed to be able to heal and accept myself. But gradually through the writing of the memoir, it became clear to me that my husband and I were probably no longer, we've always been soulmates. We're still close friends, but we weren't growing and, expanding as individuals we were our relationship had it just wasn't working anymore so that was maybe my primary insight from this so um how do we know when a relationship with somebody could be a friend too not just a partner it's not growing anymore what are the signs oh i think unhappiness i felt i probably Sad, uh, lonely, loneliness, uh, incredibly yeah. lonely within a relationship is a sign of that, not being nurtured in a way that is helping us to expand and grow. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, it makes sense to me. Is there a, a way of knowing that 
if that sadness is coming from ourselves, because sometimes when we are not healed, we might experience um, depression and sadness and anxiety. Right. That's true. We carry that within ourselves, too. I guess I can only speak to how I knew for myself as I was gradually and increasingly unhappy and I'd probably done 40 years of therapy, so I know myself pretty well and understood there were certain reasons in our relationship that we were growing apart. And that, that then it become, it became kind of clear to me. It was never obvious. I mean, it, these things take time. It took me about five years to make that decision to arrive. Oh, wow. But uh, because we've been married for 34 years, so it was it was a very long-term marriage. But I think if you continue to ask the questions and answer honestly, I think everyone can find their way. I like that, Cindy, this idea of asking questions, right, to ourselves and others. <laughs> I love that, right? <laughs> So talk to me about your spiritual journey. When did that begin officially? And how did you know when your healing journey was completed? Yeah, well, my spiritual journey began when I was born because, and not everybody is on a spiritual journey. I am just called to that path. And, you know, other people might want to be, I don't know, the best criminal lawyer that ever existed. But for me, I was just constantly looking for, maybe you referred to it earlier, that sense of purpose and meaning in my life. And that's been a lifelong question. I believe the second part of your question had to do with when... When you found out that your healing journey was completed, it came to an end... Yeah, I think it helped for me a lot in my relationship with my spiritual teacher, Venerable Dhammananda Pakuni. I was ordained by her in 2014. And essentially what that meant, it was a temporary ordination where you go into the monastery for three weeks, you do certain things, you take the precepts, you shave your head, you wear the robes, and then you come after that period is over, you go back and become enter back into your lay life. I think that, I, I didn't know it at the time, but I think looking back on it, that was kind of the apex of my spiritual journey, which is not to say I'm still looking and still growing and still searching, but something happened in me where I received, perhaps it was what I was seeking as a child, just the unconditional love and acceptance that I really craved or wanted, needed to love and accept myself. And somehow I got that through that experience. And then the next five years, it was a question of, I have a teacher who says that we get the lessons sometimes before we embody them. So I had to grow and live, I want to say live into that spiritual boost, uh, that spiritual peak that I experience when I was ordained. It took me a while to catch up with myself so that I could emanate that and um, actualize that in my daily life. Wow. So my question is, how does it feel to be unconditionally loved? It feels very peaceful. It's like when I talk about being with my teacher, 
I, my voice always drops and I always feel kind of like this giant, ah, it's being in her presence because of her wisdom and her uh, capacity to love, I guess, and her, her spiritual practice. Sitting in her presence is just like being enveloped in the arms of an angel. And it just is, uh, it's definitely very calming and satisfying and left me with a really peaceful feeling. Yeah, yes, I can understand that. I, I think I have another question for you about um, unconditional self-love. Do you believe in unconditional self-love? Not for me. I wish I did have. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> I, stumble, I stumble too much. I still fight with myself to love and accept myself. I was just doing some writing before we began this talk. And a, uh, it was a class and there was like little stones with sayings on them. Like, I am a woman and I need to trust myself. I need to, there was 13 of them. And I, the one I picked was, I, I want to be gentle with myself. That is a practice for me to be loving and accepting. That is something I work at. But I need to be, by work, I mean, I have to stay conscious about it. Right. It's a practice for all of yes, us, I would yes. say. Yeah. <laughs> all of us. <laughs> Unconditional self-love. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's like, nope, not me. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so talk to me about her, Dharmananda. Yeah, basically, Dharmananda is a woman who is very courageous and possesses a lot of personal strength. What she took on, essentially, at the time when she became ordained, she left her 30-year marriage. She she didn't leave her children exactly, but she maintains a different relationship with them once she became ordained. She was a prominent professor. She was a popular TV Dharma host. She set all of that aside so that she could dedicate herself to her own spiritual enlightenment and the path of becoming ordained. But also, women aren't allowed to be ordained in Thailand. They don't allow monks to ordain women. She had to go to Sri Lanka to be ordained. So what she essentially did was she took the initial step to be the first woman to be ordained. And because she was such a public figure, it was people paid attention. and. She's dedicated to what's called the fourfold Buddhist path, which is, I'm sorry, the fourfold Buddhist community, which is lay men, lay women, ordained men, and ordained women. So it's like a three-legged chair, and the chair is out of balance until without the revival of what's called the bhikkhuni or the female sangha, the, the community of ordained women. So she really took, and, and that's perhaps where you might use the word feminist. She's a Buddhist first and a feminist second. She always says that because there was a point in her life where she became actively involved in the revival of the women's sangha or the women's, uh, the fourth leg of the chair, essentially. Right. So she's right. quite, she's quite exceptional in that way. And I read that both of you had this um, shared this experience with mothers, your mother and her mother. Oh, yes. Right. Right. Um, I love what she said here, too, which is we cannot solve anything by anger. Anger does not lead us anywhere. 
it is more difficult to practice compassion and loving kindness. That is the goal of Buddhism. Tell me how you met Dharmananda. Sure. Yeah, well, I had just moved with my then husband and 13-year-old son to Bangkok. My husband had a, thir- a three-year assignment. And after about three months, once we got settled, I wasn't working. I had left my home and friends. I was feeling somewhat adrift and not knowing what I wanted to do. And so I signed up for a conference and it was to... Uh, It was a a conference which dealt with women in developing countries. And at that conference, there was an afternoon workshop called Faith, Feminism, and the Power of Love. And right off the bat, that interested me because I don't often see love and politics in the same sentence. And I went to that and there was, it turned out, it was a panel of nine women from, women from all over the the world. And a couple of the Muslim women there from different countries got into a pretty heated discussion about the value of Islam and the lives of poor women. And there was a, the panel kind of ended there with a tense debate and there was a silence. And into that, Damananda stepped forward and spoke in a fairly soft but uh, powerful voice, the quote that you just said, which is, We cannot solve anything with anger. And when I heard that, it was like part of me woke up. It was it was as if I was hearing something that I knew I needed to hear. And I wanted to know more about this woman. I was impressed by her presence. I was kind of electrified by what she said. And that's how we met. And she invited anyone who wanted to come to the temple to her monastery after the conference, she just welcomed people to come down. And, and so I went down and that's how the relationship started. Yeah. A wonderful relationship at that. Right. right. What is feminism or better question yet? What is the goal of feminism? I think for me, there, there are many, maybe different definitions of feminism. My definition is that feminism to me means that each woman is able to achieve achieve her inherent potential. That is, even in the face of society, societal barriers, discrimination, prejudice, all of that, that it's the capacity to fulfill our our potential. Oh, that's the goal too. Do you see this idea of being um, exercised in our society, in the United States? I mean, I would think that women... I see many powerful women rising to the stage. I think there are movements within the Me Too movement, certainly, and that caught that caught almost like wildfire. That really uh, has blossomed. And I think women are making a lot of changes in terms of being open and honest about their experiences. And I think in some ways feminism has allowed for that because it allowed us to speak. uh, When I experienced it in the 70s, it was about finding our voices, speaking up, claiming truth to power. And so I, I see a lot of opportunity for that in our society. I think there's a basic misconception that to be powerful, you have to be in a hierarchical relationship. You have to be better than or greater than. And my definition of being powerful is being vulnerable. And I don't think many of the women, uh, excuse me, the definitions of masculine power include the notion of vulnerability. 
Mm-hmm. Wow, that's beautiful. And so your definition of power, it's also being vulnerable, right? Not trying to hide ourselves and being afraid to be who we are. And we're almost at the end of the interview and I have a few final questions for you. But before that, would you like to add anything, read a passage from your book or... Um... Yes. So this is about what I call, what they call in Thailand, alms round, which is a revered tradition where the nuns go around to collect food in their alms bowl from the local people. People get up very early, maybe four or five in the morning to cook fresh food in order to uh, make an offering to the nuns or the monks when they come by. So basically... Okay, let's see. Okay, what an odd sight we make, I thought. Three nuns, three matches, and two farang foreigners coiling like a long snake down a side street. I felt vulnerable, as if I were missing an essential part of my clothing, a skirt you could see through without a slip. The houses beside the road were wooden shacks stacked one against the other and open to the street with a sunshade overhead, Garbage was strewn alongside the road. There was a sour smell of decay in the air. Clearly these people were poor. How could they afford to donate food, I wondered. The procession stopped before a house where an old woman stood in front, holding a tin rice pot. Her face was brown and lined with wrinkles. Eyes closed, she raised the pot to her forehead. Her lips moved silently. She picked up a cone of white lotus blossoms, carefully wrapped in broad green banana leaves, and placed them on the lid of Dominanda's alms bowl. I remained behind Dominanda while the nuns delivered their blessing. The words to this chant sounded different from what they had sung earlier. Dominanda leaned in close and whispered to me, this woman has cancer. I appreciated knowing something about people's personal stories Living in a gated community with other expats, I hadn't yet experienced any connection with the Thai people other than my housekeeper, who wasn't even Thai, and my driver. Walking with Dominanda was like entering a private world, discovering a Thailand that existed beyond the locked gates of a protected compound. Dominanda turned down a side road onto a dirt path. Through the trees and brush, I could see a small white house with a family seated on the porch. A young man who Dominanda told us was small for his age sat between his mother and father. He looked like a boy, but as I got closer, his face appeared older. His large head dwarfed his small body. I learned later that he was 35 years old. Dominanda called everyone in close. I wondered if our group might be intimidating to the man, but our presence didn't seem to bother him. Perhaps he'd seen foreigners walking in alms round before. He glanced up at Dominanda, a look of wonder on his face. All eyes focused on this Thai man as we circled around him. Laboring for breath, his chest lifted and fell as he wheezed in and out. He pressed his palms together as his mother lifted a precious spoonful of rice into Dominanda's alms bowl. Filled with tenderness, Dominanda bent over to receive the offering. We paused, watching, spellbound. A wave of compassion rose in my chest. My vision blurred as warm tears slid down my cheeks. 
It was just a momentary flash. Buddhists, Christians, Jews, Thais, Americans, all standing together, connected by an invisible thread of caring. When my vision cleared, faces and colors came into focus. Red flowers appeared richer, pink petals more vibrant. For the first time in Thailand, I didn't feel like a foreigner. Standing in that outdoor sanctuary, I was profoundly grateful to have found this gifted teacher who willingly accepted me, a stranger, into her community. A sense of calm flooded through me as I fell back into the silent procession and we headed back to the temple for breakfast. Wow. That's beautiful, Cindy. Thank you. Thank you. Do you have a, um, an audio book? I don't have an audio book. Uh, my book was just published uh, two weeks ago. So you can order it. I encourage people to order it on from their closest independent bookstore. You can certainly order it on Amazon. There's a website called IndieBound.org where you can locate your nearest independent bookstore. It's, it's available in, let's see, Kindle, iBooks, and paperback. Right. Oh, the audiobook will be wonderful too. Um, if you're not thinking about it, yeah, that'll be great. The way you read, <laughs> that'll be fun. Oh, thank you. That's, I've never yeah. heard that. Thank, thank you for that suggestion. Yeah, that would be great. So my final question is to you. What is another word for healing? I think what came to me was embrace and acceptance. Yeah. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? Uh, probably going back to what we were saying before, loving myself more unconditional. Uh, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, that sounds really good <laughs> for me to hear that too. So it's like talking to myself in a way, <laughs> that practice. Do you believe in life after death or some kind of life? Um, I think I do. I, it's, I don't know that I've ever articulated it or have a clear idea in my mind, but I do think Somehow our souls manifest. Mm, yeah. What are three things about life you know for sure as of today? It's really important that we express ourselves, whether that expression through creative outlets, whether that be writing, dancing, horseback riding, cooking, cleaning. It really is important to access those creative and life in I think the creativity connects us to our deeper life-affirming self. If there's something that you haven't said to someone you love, go ahead and say it. That would be number two. And there's no reason to withhold. Be courageous and walk forward with an open heart. Mm, yeah, I love that. Thank you so much, Cindy, for your presence, your peacefulness, your wisdom. Thank you. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure. And my final technical question, you mentioned your website before. Can you please mention again, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Yes, that would be uh, my website, cindyrossico.com, and uh, Facebook at author, And I'm also on Instagram Wonderful. at cindyrossico. 
Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, bye for now, Cindy. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Cindy Rassico, please visit her website, cindyrassico.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. <laughs>